0: To OS News Podcast, episode number uh, 35, goodness, for, uh, what was the date today? April 11th, 2010. <clears throat> um, I'm glad to say that uh, besides myself, Croc, and Tom Herder, your regular hosts, uh, we're joined by OS News reader Mark Henderson, who has uh, volunteered his time to, uh, to join us on the show today. Thank you very much. And it works. Uh, Mark is uh, another Brit, um, so hopefully you've got two thick slices of uh, accent to to chew through. Excellent. Americans just can't get enough of that British accent. Um, Mark, uh, you should probably tell us a bit about yourself.
1: Okay, no worries. Um, Well, I'm a software engineer by trade. for many years I was um, working um, mainly with Borland products, so I did a lot of Delphi and all of the sort of stuff that goes along with that, um, but like many Delphi developers I discovered that um, <laughs> there wasn't going to really be much progression, um, not in the way that anyone was actually going to employ me to do. So I moved over to Microsoft technology, so I'm using mainly .NET now. So I do a lot of C-sharp, do a lot of um, legacy VB.NET stuff, which I will often try and convert to C-sharp. Um, that's pretty much me. Um, do a lot of desktop development, do some web development, moving more into the web development this year because that seems to be the way everything's going. So doing web services yeah. and... Um, you know, online presences and, um, you know, wonderful backends and getting into um, the uh, Microsoft's MVC um, based ASP.NET product now. So mm. that's all been very exciting. Hopefully, we might do some server as well, which I'm sure you're are all you, going to start.
0: Well, I, I, well, are you, you you're developing in what sort of a mid size enterprise size sort of company?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of a weird company because it's um, they're actually a third party administrator for certain um, products, and um, so we basically develop the in house system, and the in house system also gets sold to third parties. I see. I see. So it's it's a little complicated. <laughs> um, um, but what yeah, internal yeah, I mean,
0: company IT isn't.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's never never a simple, straightforward thing, is it? But, yeah, I mean, I've been into OS News for a very long time. Um, I was a BIOS user, so I used <laughs> a lot of um, nice. the type of stuff, and um, was very much into the PowerPC side of things. So I used to own a B Box, which I'm sure Tom will be impressed about. <laughs> uh-huh. And <laughs> um, after BIOS kind of started floundering, I kind of Jumped around all over the um, sort of ether you know, ETH, and I tried out all of them. Um, I used to do a little bit of Syllable um, and Athios before that and kind of just jumped around, did a little bit of QNX, you know, Linux, you know, your, your standard type of thing. I kind of settled on um, Mac OS X at home. Right? So I tend to sort of be a, um, a Microsoft person at work and a Mac <laughs> person at work. It's a good device. That's common, like, it's common it's, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, I did the typical thing of you know, someone that grew up in the '80s. I I, I did a lot of sort of eight-bit British home computers as well. So I did the special yeah, in the you know, sort of like Amstrad stuff. I did some Commodore 64, which I suppose isn't really British. Went through the Acorns. So I did um, a lot of BBC stuff at school. Did some Archimedes. Um, used to own a couple of Archimedes. Actually, I only got rid of the last one a few months ago.
0: Did you have Elite for it? For it.
1: I did have the leap for it. Yeah. Yes,
0: <laughs> it was the best it was, version.
1: It was a very good version. Yeah, I also like the Amiga version, which is probably sacrilege. But um, yeah, <laughs> the Archimedes version was a lot more detailed. That's yeah, yeah. There was a lot more to it.
0: We should uh, let's make a move into our topics today. Um, well, actually, we we're, uh, this is unscripted as usual, so I don't know what the topics today. But I suppose there is a massive, great, big, glaring, uh, uh, unavoidable. Chunk of news uh, about sort of Apple's whole stance, oh, as it were, on the developer oh, world well, this week. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, probably. Which doesn't necessarily directly affect me, but I have a lot of opinions about it.
0: <laughs> I think it's going to affect everybody eventually in some way or another, um, because of the dominance of iPhone and and stuff like that. It's going to, you know, if you're, you're moving businesses and things like that, you're going to be starting counting well. these devices.
2: Well, but, you know, dominance is kind of a relative word, isn't it, regarding uh, the iPhone. I mean, when it comes to press attention, it certainly is dominant, but even the smartphone market itself it technically isn't dominated by the iPhone. Again, press-wise, it is, obviously. I mean, the number of the, the amount of attention it gets, but in the end, you know, um, 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 Nokia is still selling, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe Nokia worldwide is still selling more smartphones, of course. Uh, um, 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 RIM is still selling more smartphones, etc., and... So, you know, it's it's dominant, yes, in the sense that it gets the most attention, but whether it's dominant in regards to, um, you know, actual market dominance, I'm not even sure. I don't think it is the case, actually, just... No, One is that all? That. Um,
0: I think we should just quickly recap. I just wanted to read out what the, the items were. Uh, essentially, Apple have announced their iPhone OS 4 to ship in summer and for the fall for the um, iPad thereafter. And uh, they changed the terms and conditions um, for the iPhone SDK. Uh, and uh, point number 3.31 was adjusted to say <laughs> that uh, that your source code, your your apps have to originally be written in... Uh, C, C++, Objective-C or JavaScript um, essentially that preventing people from using uh, third party compilers and also from sort of frameworks as well which will compile down to uh, from a, a different language such as .NET uh, in the case of Monotype into an iPhone app uh, and this is extremely riled up the, uh, the developer community because it's kind of stepping on people's choice of what tools they want to use.
1: Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, having actually done iPhone development, Objective-C is hard to get into to begin with. It's, there's no getting away from that. Um, it's very different. There's a lot of things that are done differently, yet is isn't that different. I mean, if you've ever done any kind of C++, um, C++ or even sort of like Java or C Sharp, it, syntax-wise, it's very different in many ways, but very similar in other ways. So it's kind of tricky. Um me personally, I think they're going, they're going to make a lot of people angry um, because I know for a fact that there are a lot of people that um, have small companies that had a lot of money invested in, say, C sharp programming, for example. That thought when the um, the MonoTouch um, from Novell came out, um, oh great, that's it! You know, we're we're going to now be able to develop these apps, and we're not going to have to learn a whole new skill set to do it. We're going to be able to use, you know, the the tools that we're familiar with, and I don't think that quite panned out exactly that way. I mean, they still seem to have used, from what I saw, um, all of the same frameworks as Apple did, but they've wrapped them up into C sharp, and it's all nice and easy. And they've made some nice helper functions, and it's a, it's easier, it's um, you know less hard to get into if you have um, C sharp knowledge. So all of those guys, from what I understand, you know, especially having read what um, Novella put up onto the um, their website recently as a statement are kind of now in a really indefinite situation oh, then right. they've, they've paid their $99 to become a developer and they've then paid I don't know what exactly the price is, I remember seems is it to $2.99? 299 yeah, on top just so they can use the language of choice, now Apple's kind of gone, Oh well, no I don't want you to do that yeah. And I expect they're very angry. I expect there's going to be a, a really big, big backlash from people like that. And, I mean, there are other communities that are in a similar situation. I mean, I follow the Free Pascal um, community. And I know for a fact that they were developing something um, that was kind of even closer to the bone. It was more, more sort of um, directly accessing the libraries and the Objective-C runtime, which is possible, you know, without actually you know, building anything on top you could pretty much um instantiate the classes and create the st- same structures that you would from objective c directly as so long as you've got the right um you know, the right infrastructure built and they were building that and they were getting to the point where it pretty much runs on the Mac OS 10 and they were kind of just kind of getting baby steps into doing the whole iPhone thing and this has come out and now reading their mailing list they're all kind of just going, Well what are we gonna do now? Um, all of this work that we've been putting in is kind of just been negated. Apple have not
0: been friendly to developers from since day one of the iPhone. Um it is yes, it's definitely yanking the the, the rug underneath uh, people's feet. But um, okay. since day one, we've had the restrictions of the NDA, which were, yeah. you know were ridiculous—that you couldn't even talk about the fact you were developing iPhone apps or share code with each other and everything like that. And um, and 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 things have only got the sort of the clamp has been gotten worse over time. One thing I wanted to to add is simply that there's been obviously a lot of outrage over this, but there's not been a lot of reasoning and playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying that I agree with Apple in this instance. I do. Not not. But I wanted to say, in in, in sort of Apple's angle, Apple's stance on this, is that they want a very rapidly moving platform, and uh, they believe that third-party toolkits, etc., and things that are not their own compilers, are not going to be readily making use of the right of new APIs coming into the system that are going to provide all the features they want, like this multitasking, however that works under the hood. I think that that is Apple's stance, is that they do not um, they want a rapidly moving uh, system, and the only way to do that is for people to be keep, keeping on top of the native API.
1: Yeah, you're right, and to be honest, um, if you start looking at some of the uh, mailing lists, this doesn't seem to be necessarily surfacing itself you know, onto websites yet. I'm sure it will. Um, there's a number of people have directly, you know, how people directly email Steve Jobs and sometimes yes. he replies. He's been quite vocal. <laughs> um, he's actually replied to a number of people that have asked this, uh, you know, asked after this clause in the, um, yeah. the, the new terms. And he seems to have, um, well, you know, you never know whether it's actually him that's replied or whether it's one of his, you know, the helpers or, you know, um, secretaries. Probably well. a group
2: of people, you know, it's probably a yeah. group of people monitoring that yeah, address and then talking yeah, to yeah, Steve Jobs, yeah, like, yeah. that's something, yeah.
1: Essentially, what he said is they have had the issue before, exactly as Crocker said, with people who use frameworks built on top of their APIs and it is causing issues. Um, when they um, moved from the old Mac OS to the new Mac OS 10, they had a legacy um, API called Carbon, mm-hmm. which was meant to be a stopgap. It really was meant to be a stopgap, yeah, it was still, enough yeah. like. Yeah, It was enough like the old API so that you could move an app that ran on the old Mac OS to the new Mac OS 10 fairly easily. I mean, there were APIs that changed. It wasn't straightforward necessarily, but pretty much it was fairly easy to move across. And the idea was that that kind of cushioned people got them to the point where they could move across fairly easily, and then theoretically they would then start building their applications using the new APIs. But it didn't work out that way, and as we all know, there are still you know applications that there have are two issues two
0: main suites that are still running on carbon that's yeah. Microsoft Office and yeah, but, uh, Adobe Creative Suite
1: Yeah but even Apple
2: itself took a its sweet long time with moving everything away from carbon That's true the fi- they, the finder was carbon for a very long time and I think there are still carbon components in in, Leopard, in Snow Leopard, I'm not sure but yeah, you know, but, so but, it's uh, not it's not just the comp- it's not just you know like uh, independent sof- software vendors no, that Apple make the uh, OS are as well. behind. And so they've got their
0: application so, development team, and they've got the OS development team. And the OS development team made the decision to drop 64-bit carbon in um, Leopard, despite the fact that it was advertised it would be there at the WWDC. So they made the decision that, that we've got to start cutting this carbon off very forcibly. So they dropped 64-bit support for carbon, and I suspect they're looking for opportunities to drop um, 32-bit as well. Now their apps, they've they have been in the process, they have taken time to do, but they've been in the process of rewriting them. iTunes is probably the biggest hangout, but their pro apps have now migrated, um, and so all that's left is basically Microsoft Office and Adobe Creative Suites, but it's its an example where we've had 10 years of this, this API that Apple really wanted to move off of, and some people were happy to do that, um, and other manufacturers have just been dragging their feet. So the same can be said of, of iPhone. Obviously Apple are being very crude about this but it's the same issue that that they're constantly wanting to reiterate the platform and, in, and innovate and they can't do that unless the um, program is communicating with their ABI, API so they can change what's under the hood.
1: They do have a habit of changing things quite drastically um, every now and again. Um, the, the The development on the iPhone has moved along very, very quickly I mean, there are things that you used to be able to do in the first version of the API that you can't do anymore. And um, pretty much every major revision will remove some things and add more features. So, I mean, yeah, I I, I can, you know, really identify and, you know, kind of agree with what you're saying because they they are moving along very quickly. Um, And third-party tools do tend to lag. Any third-party tool that will have any kind of API import Will never be as up to date as the current version of the API, as can be seen, for example, with Microsoft and .NET and Mono. It's just mm-hmm. the way the way it is. You're always playing catch up, and you can either do, you know, the whole oh well, you know, that's just the way it is. We don't support that platform anyway, as Microsoft has obviously done with the Mono side of things. You know, they're not serving anyone. They're just letting them get on with it at the moment. We well, can do what Apple seems to have done and gone. Well, no, actually you know, we don't want you to do that and we're not going to let
2: you. So well, here's a crazy thought. I mean, well, Apple could have also taken a very different approach, which is uh, instead of, well, acting like a... Uh, um, um, uh, you know, is there right, I know, but instead of acting like a dictator, they could have said, hey, there are the, a lot of people who prefer to use... Um, who prefer to not use Xcode and to use uh, another tool mm-hmm. or another suite to, to, to write their applications. Instead of cutting them all off, why don't we... Um, 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 Talk to, to, for instance, in this case, let, let's just uh, stick to the case of Adobe and then CS5 where they implemented something similar. Apple could have said, hey, why not, you know, cooperate with Adobe? I mean, Apple also lets other uh, application developers in on new features in upcoming releases so they can showcase their applications when, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, when for instance, you know, like uh, in, in, in the uh, iPhone OS 4 announcement where they showed uh, Skype and Pandora and everything. They could have done the same thing with Adobe. They could have said, hey, look, we know you're building um, on CS5, uh, we know we know we have this tool for that, and we're going to release a new iPhone. OS West version It's going to have new features. Please adapt your stuff, and then you can showcase but, it. Whatever. Don't even, they could have they well, done that. They could have done that, too. I mean, there aren't 10 million um, um, of these tools around. they are probably a handful. I mean, how, how many can there be? Like 15 or something? I don't know. something like that?
1: 10, 15, yeah. Yeah, darn yeah, yeah, so well. We, they could have done that. They could have cooperated instead slow. of
0: they've had ten years to, to to move off of like um off of carbon and you know and it's lot how long to get sorted out uh, you know but Adobe yeah, is a company and CS five is a massive massive bust of product that takes a, a, a huge amount of development work whereas you talk about Pandora and stuff are small applications that one developer can, can work on and, and they can make changes in one day whereas CS five is 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 compiling directly to the ARM executable to run on um, thingy that's not something that they can align with um, Apple's new APIs because. They're basically developing a whole sort of an, almost an operating system in their own to be able to compile to those sets of APIs. It's um, it must be a massive engineering task, and Apple don't want to be stuck in this having to wait for everybody else because yeah. well because they're paranoid, um, but they want to keep themselves ahead of the competition.
1: I think as well, the other thing that sort of came to my mind about this whole situation is there are a lot of people out there that are creating these third-party solutions to create applications for um, you know, the iPhone. And some of them are doing it in a very simplistic way so that it's almost you know click, 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 fill some text in here and you've got a new application. So I can agree with Apple trying to remove those type of applications. Um, with Flash, mm, it'll be beneficial... In a way for them to have it, but you know it's kind of also then Adobe getting their own way, right. um, and That's with some... the other tools like Monotouch and such, um, they're making a lot of money, right. a lot of money on top of you know what the developer is already paying for. I mean, if you look at what Apple's recently done with the whole Mac, uh, you know the Mac developer program, they've reduced that down drastically. That's it's only 99 dollars to join that now. It used to be hundreds. So I, I think they're trying to make it now so that it's a lot more accessible, a lot cheaper to get in, you know, given that you have to buy a Mac to develop them.
0: Well, they, they want to make sure that it's people that are buying Macs to developments and they're paying Apple yeah. to be able to develop on it. Things like .NET development totally sidestep the whole Apple's yeah. basically baseline.
1: And the thing, the thing also with the .NET stuff that I always had an issue with was that the majority of Mono is free. The majority of Mono is free, and Novell don't seem to have a problem with that. But when they did the whole, um, you know, iPhone development side of things, they suddenly, you know, needed to charge a lot of money for it. Which kind of, you know, I and, and I expect, you know, the Adobe suite's going to be, you know, relatively expensive. And there are other, you know, providers out there that are charging, you no, know, a pretty penny just so that you can create your iPhone app. So I think maybe what they're trying to do as well is trying try to, you know, so people getting fleeced in a way and getting... Um, making people are already apps. being
0: fleeced by having to pay to access their own phone I mean we should uh, on top of all what we're discussing by giving Apple the benefit they are of course wrong in what they're doing because the market here should be free for people to use what tools they, what they want and Apple can just depreciate API's just like that and those tools can suffer they could just let those people suffer by it taking a long time for those apps to reappear in the app store but no they're trying to say this is not gonna happen at all we're not even gonna give you this
1: option yeah, I mean, the the idea that I've always had for quite a while recently is that Steve Jobs was getting more and more annoyed with the state of the, you know, the apps are in the App Store. There are some really appalling ones. I mean, we've all seen, um, you know, reports, if not actually in person, apps are just absolutely useless that pretty much do nothing. And yeah, you know, but this you
2: but this, uh, this this um, change in the Developer Agreement will do nothing to stop crappy applications in the App Store. No. I mean. If you look at the App Store, the, the vast majority is crap. I mean, I'm I'm not even joking. I mean, everybody who has an iPhone will have to agree with me. I mean, I have iPhone, I have an iPhone myself. That the majority of the stuff that you see is appallingly bad, useless, uh, uh, and you know it's ugly or it doesn't work properly or crashes or whatever. And you can't tell me that. All those applications are written using um, um, the tools that are now being banned. I mean, the majority of, of crappy applications are written using Apple's standard tools and, and standard-approved um, 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 languages and, and everything. So this this change, a lot of people are saying, "Well, this you know will finally um, up the quality of, of of content in the App Store," but it won't. It won't change a darn thing because if you uh, you know developers will always write crappy applications, no matter the tools you give them. So it's it's it, it will do nothing to to increase the quality of the app store. That's that's a myth. It's a dream. Well, it the app
0: it store help. is trying to represent all applications in existence. So on the internet, where you distribute your apps via a website or whatever service, we have a, a crap filter called Google or or social networking or any other news website that brings up the good stuff and the other stuff just gets you know further away. Whereas the app store has every app that's developed and therefore all the rubbish ones as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, um, having, obviously, use Objective-C, I I can see how the, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's possible to write crap apps, but the the thing is that you have to actually sit down and learn the API, um, which... In many ways, I would hope it would mean that people who were just, you know, in it for the, you know, writing a crappy little app where it just downloads a few pictures and, or, you know, downloads an RSS
3: feed or something, you know, the, the kind of apps that really shouldn't be in the store. The kind of apps where the guys, I mean, um, there was a pub I published this year a while back where some guy in, I forget where it was, somewhere in the Middle East that had written hundreds and hundreds and thousands of apps that all got chucked out at the same time. and Essentially, all they were doing was just, you know, reading RSS feeds they were charging like 99 cents an app or whatever. And it's just things like that. I mean, I would like to see that kind of thing stamped out. And I don't, I don't know how they can do that. I mean, other than going and actually betting and you know, vetoing all the apps that are like that.
1: Um,
3: I, I don't know. I'm really sort of divided about this whole thing. In the way I can see that it's going to, it's going to reduce the amount of availability of easy ways of making apps, which should only be a good thing. It's also going to hurt a lot of people. I mean, it's like, it's going to alienate
0: the developer base. I think yeah. it, it, that's the biggest threat is that if you miff off the, the geeks, then you lose your advocators. Um, I think that's the biggest threat to the Mac OS, well, not Mac OS, just the OS X. Platform is um, by peeing off all the developers and 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 um, and the geeks in this, they're going to stop recommending recommending this stuff to their friends. They're going to stop purchasing this stuff. They're going to stop talking about this stuff. Well, I can only hope. Um, and it's going to have a knock-on effect on Apple's sort of sales at the end of the day. If if word gets around that the the iPhone is just you know the App Store is full of rubbish. Um, and, and that's uh, my, um, Apple's attempt at quality control here. Isn't, they're not really controlling the right sort of thing. The Mac OS X, the desktop, has fantastically superb quality. And there is no app store there. And there's no Apple quality control at all. It's people who love what they do doing what they love. And people want to do the same on the iPhone. But Apple's heavy-handedness of this and trying to control everything centrally for the, Apple, uh, for the app store is, is having the complete adverse effect.
3: I'm just putting my hopes on something that Steve Jobs actually said in one of the emails that he replied to someone, and essentially what he said was, no, that would not be allowed in the App Store.
0: Oh yes, he was talking about. Um, yeah, and an and it's you know, very
3: vague and kind of like a bit like, of oh, well, what does that mean? Um, yeah, it's going to be an otherwise
0: Someone was asking Steve about, um, well, we can understand this applies for the App Store, but if you are distributing, writing an app internally in an enterprise and distributing it wirelessly uh, to your clients uh, in, inside your enterprise and therefore not using the App Store, can we use Monotouch in this case? Steve was not completely clear in his, his answer in that sense. Perhaps he's gone away to ask people about that as as to what their policy should be with that. It would be quite brutal for them to dictate that you must use a Mac and Xcode and everything for enterprises because that's going to increase costs. They can't just hire a Mac developer if they don't already have one to hand.
3: I mean, the the, the big thing, though, the big way that he worded it, it, there were a number of people who asked the same question and a number of people who asked It's It sounded very much like not in the app store, but there may be something else. And and we can only hope that's the case, that they're finally going to, you know, give in and allow some other way of distributing apps. I mean, I know that there is already the enterprise. Maybe that's what he was talking about and he was alluding to. But, you know, you never know. Huh. I mean, they, they, we now have multitasking.
0: Well, the other interesting side of it is is the whole web apps thing to, to, to the iPhone is even going so far as to tell like, Google, oh, well, just make it as a web app because they wouldn't accept a, a Google Voice program. Um, and that the, the plan at the beginning was to just do everything as web apps, and then they hurried to get uh, an SD, a, SDK for this. So it's interesting that the browser uh, is is so good on the iPhone, or, or well, good compared to uh, other mobile browsers and certainly set the standard. Um, but now I've lost my train of thought, I do
3: apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly true that originally I think the plan was web apps were the only option and iPhone OS 1 when it was first released, that was the plan, that was all you were allowed to do and you know obviously everyone initially was sort of thinking oh yeah that's fine, they've change their mind and it took them a long time to actually do that, I mean it wasn't until 2 that they actually allowed third party apps and created the app store. I don't think from what I've read um, and I believe, they actually originally were you know, going to allow any native apps to be created. Which um, sounds kind of exciting now, given how much money it probably actually brings them in. Oh, I mean, yeah, it exactly. Yeah.
0: I, it would be hard to imagine because of uh, the developer fees and and the fact that people are very willing to purchase things on in, in the app store and uh, their new iAd platform, for example, as well. And, and if they had gone just for a web app, sort of platform there would have been very difficult very difficult to extract things money out of this. Not least again the API problem. The web would also have presented as sort of a somewhat bit of an API problem because you wouldn't be able to easily come up with things like Game Center, which is a centralized gaming system, through web apps. That would be very, very difficult for them to do, to be able to corner that. Um, so yeah,
2: but the whole the whole game center thing obviously, you know, was was only thought up you know, in a, in, a, in a, maybe in the last two years or something, not right from the start. It wasn't a plan no, because no. It, the, the the whole gaming thing. I don't think Apple anticipated how popular no. uh, the iPod Touch and the uh, and the iPhone would become for gaming, and uh, so I don't think that was a consideration. You know, in the early days, this this is this is something relatively new. They basically looked at Xbox Live and put it on the iPhone. That's basically what they did, mm-hmm. which is great because achievements and multiplayer are are really fun. But uh, I know from experience, and I'm looking at my Xbox right now, so <laughs> it doesn't It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, that, that, that's a really cool thing, and, that's, uh, you know, because we've been talking about, you know, the whole uh, SDK uh, right now, and uh, that's some, some, some negativity in there, but uh, we should also talk, I think, about the new features in iPhone OS 4 because um, I was positively surprised by the things that are coming, and, uh, you know, we, we started right off the bat and all the negativity and everything, and I'm, Probably not everybody anticipates me to bring up the positive points, but <laughs> um, um, <laughs> but uh I think there are a lot of cool things coming in in iphone was four too so apart from of course, the fact that you know the s d k agreement that's the uh, s d k agreement that's bad, and that's not but we've talked about that enough now i say i mean i know oh, yeah. I don't know what we could add anymore uh, uh you know this we'll see we'll see how it pans out i think that uh um, I mean, it would also depend on Apple's reaction to things like uh, Unity 3D, which is a very popular um, a means of creating games, which is technically no longer allowed under the new uh, under the new agreement. But yeah, you know, a lot of cool games are made that way, and 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 uh, the, the 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 guys behind Unity 3D contacted Apple, and they're still in talks about how. How this will pan out for them, and I think Apple's reaction to those kinds of tools that are that are already in the App Store and already um, have created a lot of um, um, very um, um, highly um, what do you call it highly highly praised games and highly praised apps. How Apple is going to react to those tools that will be interesting. In other words, um, when the new when iPhone was 4 is released and the actual agreement goes into full effect, will they actually start removing applications already in the App Store? Um, um, uh, that are allowed now, but will no longer be allowed once the, uh, the the new clause goes into effect. We'll see. I think if if, if, if only new applications are banned, then I don't think it will. It, I don't think it will be even that much of a problem for normal users because you know those applications won't arrive from the doorstep anyway. But if suddenly all sorts of applications start to disappear, then you know
3: it. I uh, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So that could be. Uh, anyway. Um, yes, you
0: were mentioning positive things.
2: Yeah, <laughs> a, a lot of positive things, and I want to talk about those too for a change, because, yeah, so uh, the, the multitasking, of course, is not really multitasking, but it's uh, basically uh, creating the illusion of multitasking, which is, I don't really care how they do it, but as long as I can run the same applications and switch quickly, I'm very, very happy, so I think that's good, right? We're,
0: yeah, the the UI was pretty nice with that. I, I the, the implementation is exactly as I expected it would be it would be just background daemons to pick up uh, audio and, and things like that, and then just a sort of a freeze and unfreeze state for the, the applications, uh, and then just a nice. Uh, they, they've really thought about this from the user perspective as to what's going to work for all these users. Because if the feature's got to be there, it's got to be used, and it's got to be enjoyable, and it's got to it's got to work ultimately. So they've they've done yeah, a good job there
2: but it's not it's not that new because it's more or less the same what and en- as what as to what android does except for the fact that on android because of all the freedom uh, everybody can create background service but in the end uh, the multitasking implementation in in in, in android is pretty much the same as to what iPhone OS 4 does now, which is you can freeze and unfreeze, and you can have services running in the background, specific services. But, of course, on the iPhone, those background services are controlled by Apple, so you have, like, the audio service and the voice over IP service, etc. And on Android, of course, everybody can create a service and run it if they want to. Um, uh, and uh, I believe Microsoft is more or less doing something similar in Windows Phone 7, without the series, by the way. Uh, is, is is implementing something similar, so that's probably the way to go um, for mobile platforms. Um, so yeah, that's good. I think another positive thing, as ridiculous as it may sound, uh, is that we can finally change the background. <laughs> <laughs> on our but not iPhone. 3G. Not in the 3G. Yeah. Oh uh, no! Not
3: in mean, the 3G. No, not in the 3G. 3G, no, 3G. 3GS. Oh. yes, 3G now. Okay, well, you suggest. can. Which, which I think is ridiculous ridiculous thing up. multitasking I'll give them yeah maybe the 3G in of um, multitasking given it it's only got half the RAM uh, background image don't think that we're necessarily wanting to leave out a ball I mean it's to anyway but anyway it's <laughs> crazy a, wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't
2: even I didn't even know that that's kind of yeah that's stupid that's yeah I agree with you that's kind of silly uh, it, but, it, yeah.
3: it's possibly something I shouldn't have said <laughs> from my personal experience <laughs>
2: Um, well, what more new stuff do we have? Well, game center, obviously, which is really cool. Multiplayer and achievements. As stupid as they may sound, achievements. Trust me, it it, it sounds really stupid. It's the stupid. new
0: score. It's yeah. as simple as that. You know, points don't matter anymore. It's it's achievements.
2: Yeah, but once you have, once you see that stupid little list and you see things that you can actually achieve, you're good enough to get them. You want to have them. It's it's stupid. I <laughs> never would have thought that I would be that kind of person, but it turns out that I am. So that's, uh, that's good, uh, and multiplayer, of course, so is nice. Um, then we have uh, the folders thing, which is uh, a lifesaver. I have now like four or five home screens on my, my iPhone, and I can bring that back to one, which is, uh, which is positive. Um, what more do we have? But, um, uh, I kind of lost. I'm trying to bring up the, the actual article. Um, here, there we go. Of
3: course, uh, you've got the 3D talk. The dock's now looking like um, snow leopards. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is ridiculous. ugly. pointless, but still.
2: That's the first thing that I always change when I'm at a Mac, is that I change the dock back to the two-dimensional view, because the 3D thing, it, it, it isn't actually 3D, and it's ridiculously ugly. At least that's my... <laughs> that's
3: my, uh... My, my on my Mac at home, um... I it depends on which account I log on to. Uh, it, for account I use for I have it down the side, so it automatically isn't 3D. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one I'm logged on today has got 3D. So
0: oh, something we should be discussing is Apple's iAd. I think it's particularly yeah. interesting.
3: It it seems to be a good idea in so much as they're going to control the way that the ads are being given. Um, a lot of the ads in some of the applications. That you will um, find at the moment in the app, uh, in the app store kind of annoying <laughs> if, it, if they can think of a better way of putting in ads where I can still see you know what it is that they're supposedly you know wanting to sell and they can create me some way uh, as a developer of making revenue off of those ads then that's fine I'm, I'm not not gonna you know, complain about that I mean if they can present it in such a way, Everyone's happy. Um,
0: commercially speaking, it's a very, very good idea. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um it's a bit interesting that they're taking sort of it's a sort of a sixty forty split uh and Apple are taking the forty percent. They sort of I, I don't know how that really rates towards um other advertising schemes and advertisers. But my theory um, um, do you know?
3: Well, Admob gives you next to nothing. Oh, right. In, in my experience, next absolutely next to nothing for impressions. So my theory yeah, is that an awful lot of impressions to make any kind of money. Mm. So it 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 stands how much of, you know the, the sixty voice split is actually being split you know, split from what what the actual you know fee they'll give uh, per Oh yeah, for. that's right, yeah.
0: What where's
3: the actual money but, coming I mean, from? <laughs> it, it, it can't you know, so long as so long as it actually looks like it's gonna make some money, it, it'll be something that I would certainly put into any apps that I would be creating for free. I mean yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, but the, the theory here is that Apple could be using this to um, block or, or, or otherwise prevent, uh, just as they are with, with these uh, third-party development kits, is block and prevent other advertisers um, from getting in on this platform and to make sure that all advertising goes through Apple and has their approved touch to it and that it's you know they, they like how it looks and everything. It's just yet another uh, a controlled channel.
3: Well, technically, if you look at what the actual restrictions that they've already put into the development process imply, that you can't actually use third-party libraries anyway. So, you know, the ad at the moment is a third-party library that you link your code to. You don't get a source code or anything, it's just a library. And technically, that is actually precluded. Technically, I don't know whether in practice it will be.
0: But Apple are also including extra restrictions about what information you're allowed to collect from the user, such as location, etc. You cannot actually have any advertisements in the uh, application unless the application is an advertisement itself. So they. Put the squeeze on—they're they're restricting sort of the freedom that advertisers have um, for things like location-based advertising, etc. And it's just—it's very interesting. It'll be interesting to pan it out. It's interesting in the sense that this is advertising that could be very, very successful and work. It's interesting that that uh, it's wonderful. We've got a, the, the iPhone platform means that there can never be any advert blockers, and so you've got to live with this. And uh, and that it's all done in HTML5 as well. There's, there's so many aspects to it
2: well I, I i well i never I, I was never really bothered by the by the advertisements that I've seen currently in in the app store i mean it's usually just a, a tiny um, 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 bar at the bottom of the screen or sometimes at the top it's not really big it doesn't move it's just a static image but just that's everything that i've seen so i i never I was never really bothered by um, um, the kind of applications that are in there now, but these these eye ads they seem pretty intricate with games and and and, and videos and, and um, 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 uh, all sorts of other stuff, images, whatever. I'm kind of uh, wondering how large those advertisements will be. I mean, if if, if you looked at the um, the Toy Story ad that they had in there, on the uh, um, um, that they showed during the uh, the presentation. I would hazard a guess that some of these ads might actually turn out to be bigger in size yeah, than actual unless applications.
3: Apple, I, Apple could board, be doing I'm
0: going to do a of things here they could be reserving a space in memory or in the operating system for the advert and putting a- and advertisers will have a maximum limit on this the- some of the, ad- the stuff was streaming like video etc so that would be offsite mm. data the other option is this could be done via multitasking what they could be doing here is just freezing the state of the app and switching to another application which is the advert um yeah, which is just a web It view. still takes up
2: space i mean um, uh, if- and if you stream it, then it would be devastating on your 3G connection if you're outside. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't be for me because I have an an, an infinite, what do you call it, an, uh, an, an infinite contract, whatever. But I know that a lot yeah. of people don't. But it would um, only be doing that surely if you're Blore.
0: actually clicking on the advert because it's only a static image in the instance that you're not... Um, yeah, sure. you know, streaming video, et cetera. But I think that there's a possibility they could be doing this using um, uh, the actual multitasking component. I've, I haven't got access to the SDK. That would be interesting to know if that that's the case. The, the reason I'm interested in that because what about the iPhone 3G and stuff that doesn't have multi- that? They're not porting multitasking to. Will that have iAds and how will that work on there? Are they allowing multitasking for ads but not multitasking for apps? <laughs> that would be, that would be yeah.
3: ridiculous. <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think iAds is going to be a separate application that is loaded and multitasked because it's um, using the native APIs and everything. it's a From my experience, given what Audrey said, and without you know um, breaking the industry, <laughs> Um it's not on the three G at the <laughs> moment. So, um, yes, yeah, yeah. So that may speak So I, n- I haven't spoken to anyone, so I, and I have no knowledge of whether that is available. on other, you questions know, of the iPhone are <laughs> available. Yeah, iPhone platform they're available, but it's not on the 3G at the moment. Okay. Okay. It's If it was going to be multitasking, and, and as the 3G doesn't support multitasking, it would... Come well, I
0: mean, it doesn't support 3G. multitasking in the sense of it's just not plumbed into the UI. I mean, is it literally a hardware thing? Apple seemed to imply that it was hardware, but I don't know right. quite how true that is. Unless they just meant RAM is what they implied by the, hardware.
3: So the RAM is approximately half, I think, the oh, Yes yeah. has got 256, the 3G only got 128, mm. so I mean, it's literally got half the amount of RAM, so yeah, you're going to hit the ceiling of, um, you know, the available RAM a lot quicker. I mean, one of the things that's probably going to screw a lot of people over now is that um, I think when they changed the policy about um, native API access a while back, which is another one of the big changes they made, they, they removed the ability for a lot of the applications that used to be around, that would um, free up memory. So I, I, I personally use one of those every day on my 3G, because um, you know the 3G does kind of struggle every now and again, especially when you're playing games. It's more, more games. Um, you know, you load. If I load up sort of worms, for example, to give example of a game that I actually it do was,
0: guys, it was some time ago. Hit. Oh, sorry.
3: Yeah, it will, it will hit hit a limit. And the game will slow, it will stutter, uh, it will mm. be less pleasant. Whereas if you play that on a 3G, you don't tend to hit um, 3G. Uh, you don't tend to hit that limit so quickly, if at all. So mm. I think that's going to be an issue. Um, I've I've heard uh, that basically those kind of applications aren't actually going to work under 4 anyway. So. Me, that is going to be yeah, I, I heard uh,
0: some time ago, I believe it was on Daring Fireball, um, and he may have been referring to someone else, um, but they the mention that on a 3G that uh, once the operating system is loaded there's only 40 meg of RAM left, and yeah. so that ceiling is very tight.
3: I, I couldn't actually vouch for that because that is how much RAM is possible to free up, and that is if you kill off all the processes it's the haven't loaded any apps when you first boot up you have around 40 meg wow so yeah (laughs) (laughs) whereas i I assume on the um 3 gs you probably have over 100 i would have thought
0: Right, should we move on?
2: Probably.
3: I don't know to what, but yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, 8 o'clock now, uh, Mark, if you want me to.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm, unfortunately, I might have to bow out now. I, I need to do other commitments, unfortunately, but yeah, it's been great.
0: No, I understand. That was my fault for being so late starting. Thank you very, very much for being able to, to, to join yeah. us. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate that. It's great to have other people, especially OS news newsreaders on the show as well.
3: As far as I uh, I'm glad to come back anytime. Thank you. All
0: right. Good. Have a nice evening. You
3: yep. too. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Right.
0: Thank you. Uh, let us find something.
2: Okay. Well, what could be, are there any remaining things that we should talk about, probably, let's say? Uh, haiku. <clears throat> we have haiku news, don't we? what is it? Where is always news. Is it? news. Where is it? There it is. Yeah, they've um, um 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 hired several of their regular coders. They actually hired them, as in they're paying them money to code, and uh, this has already led to some pretty decent improvements in the operating system, like the uh, Web Positive browser, which mm. is the uh, implementation of WebKit, including multi-process browsing and and you know like process per tab, like Chrome. And a very relatively decent interface. Uh, it already works very well. Um, I haven't t- tried it out myself yet, so I'm basing this on other other, people, other people's comments, um, which is pretty cool. And they've hired, among other people, uh, they, they've hired um, 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 Stephen to work on that, which is pretty cool. Um, they've also hired a number of other people, the most interesting of which is probably... Um, uh, Ingo Weinholz, who is uh, more of a, um, a low-level kind of guy, like he um, um, works on the kernel and imposes compliance and stuff like that, which is of course really, really important uh, especially in an operating system like that so, yeah, that's actually pretty good news and uh, the list of things that they still need to fix for, uh, at least the things that they want to fix for uh, the second alpha release is a relatively short list so that's, uh, so that's good um, so with a bit of luck um, things should speed up um, and hopefully, you um, well, I put this article up well of course, because of the news value, but also because right at the bottom of the article I could say that you could donate to haiku um it, it's it's I, was, I wasn't kidding about the fact that I don't like uh saying stuff like that on o s news I don't you know if we're not a charity basically I and mean, it's not my job to put your donation projects on the front page but um as most of everyone here will know um I kind of have a soft spot for. <laughs> For, for that stuff, and I kind of broke my own rule there so i 'm I'm, I'm hoping that this gave the hyper uh, some extra some extra cash to uh, uh, hire even more people, hire the same people longer. Well, what they're
0: paying is is not a huge amount. It's, it's a total of eight hundred hours for eight thousand US dollars. So it's kind of just sort of like compensation for people who are already involved in the project and already committing hours. And so it's not like uh, as, as the names you've mentioned. I mean, I don't personally know them, but uh, uh, they're people who are already involved and they don't have to spend time learning the co- you know, learning the code first yeah, uh, and, and etc. Yeah. They're really getting sort of some compensation as thanks for all the effort that they've been putting in anyway, and it is just a really good design for the operating system.
2: Yeah, I mean the fact that they've been able to raise that much money uh, in and of itself was already pretty amazing mm-hmm. for such a small project. But then again, you know there are so many um, um, BOS people still around um, who knew the operating system from back then. Um, they're still around and they're donating money, so that's 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 good. Um, and seeing it. Being produced like this, instead of uh, you know making uh, of using that money to buy flashy websites or all that, or to make flashy websites or whatever, they're actually putting the money where it makes sense, which is development. So that's uh, mm-hmm. that's really cool, and I think that we'll, this this will pay off, um, and this will hopefully um, speed things up a little bit um, for Haiku. So that's that's great news. Yeah, definitely. the
0: results are already very good. I think it is. Uh, some commenters, unfortunately, I don't have the article in front of me. Sorry, whoever you are, but. Um, uh, con- uh, commenters on um, OS News, someone did a test uh, sort of a just a very basic benchmark and, and the results on web positive are, are exceptional, I mean in some cases faster than Windows um, yeah. because well, just you know, uh, it's only an early, the, the port isn't finished yet uh, but just Haiku is just a very very efficient operating system and really it's going to be hardware support that's going to be critical going forward.
2: Yeah, that's always the case, isn't it? I mean, hardware support is always difficult. And, uh, uh, of course, one of the uh, positive sides is that we're seeing uh, in in the hardware market, we're seeing um, a lot of relatively standardized uh, machines these days. For instance, netbooks, which are all more or less using the exact same hardware, so you can really target those things and have a a lot of well-supported machines. So that's pretty cool. And of course, um, um, we have. Uh, they can borrow a lot of stuff, or at least uh, yeah, not not necessarily borrow code, which they're doing, by the way. But they can borrow um, insights from uh, BSD projects, which use the BSD license. So they've got like compa- compatibility layers for um, um, free BSD drivers, network drivers, which is pretty cool. They're also working on something similar for Wi-Fi, which is uh, also very very handy and pretty crucial these days. Mm. So you know, because of because open source has become so popular, it's it, it they can. They can learn a lot of stuff from looking at other people's code, basically, for the same types of hardware that Haiku needs to support, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and what else? Um, no, I don't have anything further to add to the Haiku no. stuff. Okay. Uh, no, you have some t-
0: experience with QNX, don't you?
2: Well, yeah, it's a long time. Oh, it's a long time ago, but yeah, I do. I. I Really liked it. Uh, not not necessar- not just the the, the the software itself in actually using it, but also the whole concept behind it, uh, the, the the architecture, how clean it is, and how um 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 um, um what do you call it? Componentized everything is. It, it's really it looks really efficient. I don't know. I mean, I like again. I'm no developer, so I don't know if it's actually. Uh, uh, as good as everybody says it is, but uh, I kind of assume that it is. But even using it back then as a uh, Azure, uh, as your a, as a desktop operating system, it, it was it was a lot of fun to use. It was uh, it had a really interesting interface. It was fast, <laughs> ridiculously fast, um, and it was it looked good, especially back then. It still has a very clean look to it all, um, which is pretty cool. And yeah, and now it's been bought by uh, RIM, by Research in Motion, the, the BlackBerry, uh, uh, the, people behind Black- oh, the company behind uh, the whole BlackBerry thing. Again, I've never seen a BlackBerry in real life, so I have no idea what it is. And there are a number of um, possible uses uh, QNX could have for RIM, but I think, I, I believe that the, the biggest one is the intellectual property that they bought by buying QNX, because QNX is a very old, co- at least in technology terms, a really old company. They started in 1980. And, you know, they've done a lot of hardcore stuff in the operating system business and, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in IDEs and stuff like that. So they, I'm assuming that q and X has an immense patent portfolio. And, of course, uh, as we all know, uh, the smartphone and phone business in general is currently bogged down by a whole number of large lawsuits. And I believe RIM R- R- is still um, kind of on the fringes on that, on all the lawsuits, but, you know, it's inevitable that they'll get sucked in at some point too. And then having something like uh, QNX patent portfolio, uh, you know, backing you up as a defensive option. I think that's uh, very clever, actually. And I don't mm-hmm. think yeah. QNX has been that expensive. They're successful, but it probably isn't. It, it isn't a high-profile uh, acquisition. No,
0: this is embedded but, stuff. It's a really serious yeah. kernel.
2: Yeah, it's it's yeah, exactly. It's serious stuff. It's uh, it's big boy stuff. It, this isn't you know this isn't uh, uh, the kind of stuff that uh, you know that, that that Apple does with Mac OS X it isn't the kind of stuff that 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 uh, Palm does with WebOS or that Linux does. This is really serious stuff. Um, I mean, QNX powered the um, powers medical equipment. It powers. It, I'm not sure if it still does that, but it powered the mechanical arm in the space shuttle. You know, this is uh, this isn't this isn't uh, stuff that's being coded in the basement and then uh, throw, thrown out there and let's see if it works. It's stuff that works. Period. So it's uh, also it's in cars. I mean, you don't want software in your cars to break down. Um, so this is um, this is serious stuff. And a lot of people are also saying that maybe uh, uh, Rim is going to use QNX as the base for the next generation of of, uh, of the uh, BlackBerry operating system, which could be I don't know. Again, I have, I've never used the BlackBerry operating system. I have no idea if it's awful or good or whatever. Yeah, it- I don't know. I I assume it's something like um, uh, Symbian, which means that it has a lot of good stuff. Meaning, uh, for instance, in Symbian, on my uh, Nokia E71, multitasking wasn't a problem at all for the, for the battery. It didn't matter. You could have 10 applications open, and I didn't notice it draining battery at all. So it, it's efficient, but at the same time, of course, the interface was horrible. It was slow. It was uh, very unpleasant to use. Uh, I'm not sure if... if I, uh, that's kind of the the idea that I get reading about the BlackBerry operating system. I don't know if that's true. Um, so maybe they're going to use QNX to improve uh, or to create a new operating system for the Blackberries. I have no idea. It could be. It, it, I, I really don't know. Um, I've no idea. <laughs> no.
0: Yeah, sorry, dumping you in that. Um, no, I, again, In Europe here, in the UK, very rarely see them. Yes, they do exist in enterprises and stuff, but it's just not something you see on the streets. Um, I've never handled one before. I've never seen a Palm device. Um, Palm Pre or Pixie, never, never seen one of those.
2: Me neither. They're not even available here. They're, they're available in the UK, but not here, so I still have to wait for those. <laughs> That's true. So, what else do we have? I guess it's probably something for you. Um, um, the whole. Uh, well, there are two items actually that right. should be right. to your liking. Uh, WebKit two.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to try, I, I was thinking whether or not to bring that in along with the sort of the Haiku stuff because, uh, yeah, WebKit 2 is, is. Uh, let me summarize for people to understand. We all know that uh, Google Chrome um, is multi process so it puts each tab into a new process uh, and so that every, or each, or your tabs are isolated and therefore if one crashes then you don't lose your whole browsing session. Um, so, uh, Google do that by creating uh, an instance of WebKit in each of the uh, processes and what uh, WebKit 2 is is basically they want to take that multiprocess thing and put it inside the engine itself because at the moment people, it's very difficult for other um, developers to repurpose that um, multiprocess engine that Google have created because it sits above WebKit's own API.
2: Except um, for the Haiku uh, people they, uh, Web Positive had it basically from the start.
0: Really? Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah is <laughs> yeah, sort of built for that sort of thing isn't it really? Where, where yeah. Even Google had to do some serious hacking in XP and Linux to get the, this, this working. Um, yeah. And the idea with, with uh, WebKit 2 is to put that inside the actual um, WebKit engine so that the UI server and the, and the uh, web co- uh, core server are, are separate and uh, it means that other applications can benefit. We've got to think beyond just... Um, uh, web browsers, because WebKit itself is an embeddable HTML component. is used in a lot of things like iChat and Adium and um, other kinds of applications that just need a, a sort of a HTML view. Yeah. Yeah. Uh much like Trident is used et search and everything else. So it's called WebKit2 because it's it's not compatible, API compatible with the old stuff. It won't well, it's just not you you can't just drop it in there. Um but it's sort of taking Google's thing and uh taking a sort of one more step by making it readily accessible to everybody else. It's it's very in- interesting. They've dropped all of this code, it works on Mac and Windows at the moment, it doesn't work on Linux, but this is an open source project, they will accept patches.
2: Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty good, and the other thing that I, sh- that you should probably uh, it's probably something for you is Google, um, sponsoring Theoram. The uh, arm yeah, this is
0: very interesting. Uh, I it just came out of the out, out of the blue for me. Um, me too. <laughs> Theoram, uh, Google have sponsored uh, a, a developer. Um, his website's called Pink Noise. Is it Pink Noise Productions? So this is this is sort of small guy who is who's, who's been creating a, sort of an arm port of, uh, of theora and well, and the optimizing open. it for
2: arm so <laughs> it, uh, replacing certain code that just does, just doesn't run well or doesn't run at all uh, on mm. arm and then um, creating arm optimized versions for that and uh, technically theora is supposed to already be easier to uh, encode uh, sorry decode it's already supposed to be easier to decode than something like ACE264. So, by optimizing it for ARM, they should get some pretty decent uh, um, um, improvements for the decoder, which should I- eventually reach kind of a same level of performance, you know, battery life, etc., that ACE264 has, even though ACE264 needs a specific chip for that. So, it's, it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, Yes. It, it makes sense
0: it makes sense yeah what's so surreal about it is the fact that Google would be sponsoring sort of uh, picking up, up on someone who's already been doing this work and, and, and sponsoring them rather than doing it themselves in in-house not least the fact that they own um, on 2 who could you yeah know, whip this up <laughs> no problem they could just hit a recompile button or something so that's what's so weird about it is it perhaps because Google are they want these things but they're trying to distance themselves from it in a sort of legal sense or from um, no. some sort Sort of I, don't I, don't, I,
2: don't, I don't think it's like that. I think it's uh, you say hit a button and recompile, but this is um, 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 Theor Arm is actually writing the decoder for Arm. It's not just recompiling True, yes. what existed. It's it's truly completely optimized for Arm. It's it's, it's nothing like recompiling. It requires a lot of. It requires a lot of new stuff to be written because, you know, you can't just uh, um, um, just put stuff from uh, that's optimized for x86 or whatever and throw it on an ARM processor. It just doesn't work that way. So it's, it's more than that. And I think, you know, why reinvent the wheel? I mean, why not yeah. um, R- yeah. use an open source product so that, you know, that a lot of people, if, if your goal is to spread Theora. Then you want this out in the open, right? So why not just use somebody uh, somebody's code who's already maybe already maybe Theorem is already pretty good. I don't know. I mean, I've never used it before. But he's saying here that it can play. uh,
0: This is like it's still like on 0.03 version. It's 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 very very early stuff, and it says with post processing disabled, I can play a PAL DVD at 725, 76 at 25 frames a second, 48 kilohertz uh, stereo trick in real time with software uh, YUV. Uh, and so, yeah, the, 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 um, Google need options ultimately and and this is uh, again it's it's ensuring that there are going to be options available for them for whatever way the technology landscape goes is because yeah. they need to be technology agnostic um, and Google needs yeah. to be on every device that comes along even if it's they themselves that are not making it and plus also obviously the fact that Google uh, with Android this is this is critically important for Android because the experience on the the, the phone is, is is what's going to sell the phone and and by people's recommendations is this is great and that is great and so forth and it will also help with the chicken and egg problem of oh why you know why bother providing Fiora, there's nothing that plays it and so on and so forth.
2: Well, there's also this this other thing, of course, in that um, certain companies <laughs> have decided to basically bet their entire uh, well not, bet their entire future is a bit heavy-handed, but they've decided to bet on H.264 and partially, of course, because the most popular video site on the web, uh, YouTube. Use this H.264, you know, of course, Google is kind of in a heavy competition with Apple right now, a nasty kind of competition, a harsh kind of competition. Google could do something pretty radical in the future by um, converting YouTube, uh, you know, the entire video collection away from H.264 to something else which could be an improved version of Theora, which could be um, VP8, which they also own technically. There's still nobody nobody who knows what they're going to do with it, but they own that. That could be a pretty big slap in the face for Apple in that sense. And considering how nasty the competition has become, I wouldn't put it past Google to do something like that, as difficult as it may be and it won't they won't do it tomorrow they might do it like three or four years down the yeah, line yeah it's so.
0: going to be in sort of a few years cool. sort of maybe time
2: and maybe they're already doing it. Maybe they're already converting everything to something else. Well, I they have everything have- in
0: H.264 for two reasons. One, Flash plays it anyway, so I mean we're saying H.264, but at the moment um, they're, what they're serving as HTML5 is, is just those same very same videos that they would be yeah. serving to Flash, and so they have it in for that reasons. And also, of course, that it was Apple themselves or, or you know, both Apple and Google thought that it was a wise idea um, to – to sort of adopt H.264 f- because of the launch of the, of the iPhone and that couldn't play Flash and so therefore that's why it has a separate YouTube application um, yeah. because it, it was with the release of Flash that you, um, Google did a complete reencode, and there was you know uh, periods where not all videos were available and that's now uh, as common so doing a reencode is not a problem people seem to think this is going to take a lot of time and money and, and storage space oh no it's not they, they, they have several copies of every video already and, and adding another one is no problem
2: yeah, well, and, and of course, it's really important to note that Google has no stake in the MPEG LA, in the uh, licensing authority uh, of, among other things, H.264. Mm. But Apple does a pretty large stake, actually. So does Microsoft. Um, those are two pretty big competitors to Google. Yeah, um, I don't think Google wants to be dependent on the whims of a licensing authority that can basically change the licensing agreement whenever the hell they want. Uh, uh, I don't think Google wants to be uh, uh, subjected to that sort of stuff, or wants to wants to be dependent on that. So, I, I, you know, it, I think it would be monumentally stupid of Google to bet everything, or to have bet everything in the past, on H.264. You can't tell me that they're that they only have H.264 copies of the content on YouTube. I, I don't believe it. I just I think that they've got everything in a different format, ready to go, an, an open format. Maybe it's the quality isn't as good, but they've got it as a backup. Right there, I don't believe they've only got a two six four. I just don't Google believe it. Would it wouldn't make any sense.
0: This? Um, yeah, the, uh, the uh, daily what's it called? Um, Motion have, have, uh, have staked their claim on, on Fiora and they've, they've converted their videos to Fiora whereas all the other video shops have stuck with H.264 because their content has already been available in that yeah. for Flash purposes anyway and therefore YouTube has done that as well and it's only in H.264 and so there's this big codec debate about about that but it seems that Google are playing the long card and, and they want to, um, either they don't think Fiora is good enough or they're waiting f- they're, they're trying to put together the software and the tools yeah. and, and, and trying to put something better than for, for your together.
2: Yeah. Just yes, sort of solve probably. this
0: ultimately because the the H.264 thing they've got they've got time to play with ultimately. Um, obviously, the, the, it's difficult with competition from Apple and, and now Microsoft entering with IE nine having uh, supporting H.264 and not including theora even despite that being three to do so. It, that's also another uh, a problem that it could cement H.264 as an, as an unavoidable standard. And worse, it could mean that publishers will only provide H.264. Uh, that's why people are looking up to you. YouTube to lead the way. They're saying, please provide a free and, and, and uh, open thing because that will get pub- uh, yeah, um, content publishers moving to it as well. well
2: yeah, if, if YouTube decides to use Theora, but I, I, I do, I do think that Google is waiting for Theora to catch up. I believe that, you know, the development version or the recent versions of the Theora decoder and the and, 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 and specification and everything, um, qu- quality-wise, you can you can find benchmarks that go both ways. Yes. You can find benchmarks that say A 64 is better, you can find benchmarks that say Theora is better, but one universal constant is that Theora simply does not have the software support. No. I mean, the tools to properly encode Theora just aren't there. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. It, it usually requires a lot of knowledge on what kind of settings to use and everything. Well, when it comes to H.264, you can just throw it out there. You can download whatever tool you want, and it'll work. And... Uh I think maybe I think Google is waiting or maybe they're doing something behind the scenes or maybe uh, this is this support for Theora arm is just the beginning maybe they're going to support other well, video projects as well Theora being
0: it. a, a VP based codec it could be that uh, that sort of this is a middle ground if they can get Theora working for now because the video is on Wikipedia for example in Theora then that yeah. code could be adapted to maybe a VP8 because that would be in the same lineage as uh, yeah. as as VP3 which Theora is based on so it wouldn't be impossible to adapt that perhaps I mean, I do not understand the absolute internal technical workings of, of, of VP8, no, but I assume I. that they, yeah. because they're in the same lineage and they're based on the same principle that you could adapt Fiora code to run perhaps VP8, and, and, and by sponsoring this and getting a decent arm, they can get the ball rolling.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's probably just maybe like getting their feet wet, getting their toes wet to see mm. what, what it's like and uh, where to go. But in any case, I, it's good news. I mean, you and I both agree that we don't want... Uh, the web to be shackled to H.264 264 in the same way that web has been and still is kind of shackled to flash so this is uh, you know this is good news we'll see where it goes it's, this is a this is a multi-year project probably mm-hmm. This won't be done in 3 weeks so yeah, uh, we'll just see we where go. it goes <laughs> yeah yeah definitely okay
0: right um we could call it there, or if you wanted to go on to discuss one other thing, there's stuff that I'd, uh, we could talk about. Is Adobe betting on ditching the Mac or the copyright turns three hundred? I don't know. There's going to be lengthy things or stuff that we would want to avoid discussing anyway.
2: Well, I'm just trying to, you know, the whole Adobe ditching Mac thing is just was just one big uh, random speculation that Eugene and I had mm-hmm. about a subject that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, yeah, the copyright turns three hundred. It's uh it's, it's. Basically, it's all in the article, you know, I mean, there's there's not a whole lot to add. The only thing that I would want to say, uh, repeat here before we call it quits, is um, uh, uh, I want to repeat the words of that Lord, that Lord Camden, um, who said, uh, round and about in, in 1735, Uh, There was this whole debate, of course, about should copyright be something, uh, should it be a natural right, a common law thing, should it be perpetual, should every creator always have copyright on everything that they make, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever ever a unicorn, or should it be, um, 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 as it is now, a legislation-driven thing, so copyright is not a natural right, but it's a right given to you by law, and uh, Lord Camden said, when that debate ravaged in the 18th century, he said, knowledge and science are not things to be bound in such web change which I think is a beautiful way to basically summarize uh, basically every problem that many people have with today's copyright system and uh, on the sideline uh, with the patent system in that it's no longer used, it's no longer the primary motivator for copyright and again a sideline patents is not to uh, forward science, it's not to promote creating art, the, the creation of arts, it's not uh, promoting learning all it does is ensure the profits for content providers and by the way content providers is a remarkably cruel term because it implies that those uh, you know it, it it implies that content providers actually create content but they don't content is created by people and not by companies Uh, not by movie companies not by record labels they don't produce content they just buy it and resell it repackage it um, so I really think that those words by Lord Camden are, um, um, you know, it's, we're talking 300 years ago, almost 300 years ago, and it, it still applies today, which I think is, is is remarkable. And it would be great if the copyright debate and the patent debate could not look at the future, but look at the past and see what really smart people already have said about this subject, like this Camden fellow or the the quote from the pamphlet that I put in. Um, uh, that's the kind of stuff that you need to look at. And if you uh, read about Uh, that those debates at Raffich 300 years ago I I just can't believe that people other than those working for the working in that specific uh, those specific industries that profit from restrictive uh, copyright laws I don't think anyone else can uh, promote perpetual copyrights or uh, very restrictive copyright stuff
0: Yeah, it's a shame that copyright has become become so uh, so so many negative connotations now It, it in itself is an absolutely astounding Piece of law. Um, the fact that you can just uh, put your name and a date on something and you've got a copyright and and it's protected by law is is just remarkable, beautiful, beautifully simple. Um, and if you think what a, a copyright system would look like now, if it, if it was invented, is that you'd have to be filling out forms and getting people's permissions and, and well, basically, it would be the patent system. That would be what copyright would be if if it was invented now. It'd be a completely unworkable, unusable, massively abused system.
2: Yeah, and, and even today it's still abused. I mean, um, um, copyright lasts for the life of the creator plus 50 or 70 years, depending on the country you're in. Uh, the the, the, the what, What's it called? The Burner Convention, if I'm not mistaken, um, uh, mandates uh, 50 years. But in a lot of countries it's 70 years, which basically means that copyright t- technically is perpetual. So copyright is perpetual these days, which I think is is remarkably stupid. It's it's monumentally stupid because it hinders uh, the creation of the arts because art builds upon art basically um, mm-hmm. um, the art of today is built upon the art of uh, music today borrows from the music that's been created forty years ago I mean rock today you know owes a great you know a, a great bunch of gr- gratitude to you know people like Buddy Holly and everything you just imagine if if copyright would have been so restrictive that nobody could have built on top of all that yeah. work that's been done in the music world—it it, just—it boggles the mind that people actually support um, the copyright system that we're in today. It, it, uh, I, I, don't, I shouldn't talk about that too much because I can get really angry about that. But <laughs> oh, and my cat is meowing. She wants to go outside. So this probably is a sign that we should probably quit. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: That's great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's just finalize there. Um, Feedback, you can email us at uh, crew, C-R-E-W, at osnews.com. You can visit the website osnews.com and comment on the podcast when it's published there. And uh, that's about all, really. Thank you very much. Yeah. And we'll see you next time.
2: Yeah. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Awesome. We got that worked out.